Welcome back to another episode of the Asian Connection. My name is Jeffrey Tram here alongside Ray Lissandra. Raya, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm going to get vaccinated tomorrow, so I'm really excited for at least ooh, one ooh. dose summer. <laughs> <laughs> I got my dose too, and I'm Team Visor. Uh, oh, hopefully, okay. you get Visor too. If you, <laughs> I have if, no idea. If they offer you Moderna, you got to leave. <laughs> no, I'm just not going to take it. I mean, if they come at me with like AstraZeneca, like that's not allowed because it's paused in Ontario. It's similar to the Johnson and Johnson one where there was um, an increased risk of blood clotting that they noticed. Ooh, so even okay. those who already have the first dose, um, they are saying, claiming that you can at least get second dosed with either Pfizer or Moderna. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, uh, we have two special guests here for today. We got John Bui and Vannery Kong. How are you guys? Pretty good, Jeffy. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Just tell us a little bit about yourselves. I am from, well, currently reside in Rockville, Maryland, but I was basically born and raised in um, Fairfax, Virginia. And I lived in Fairfax till I was about eight or nine. And then that was when my parents like relocated to Maryland because my dad, you know, got remarried. And then uh, my stepmom's side of the family, they all live in Maryland. So we just kind of ventured to Maryland, which is not too far away. It's literally like 30 minutes if you drive a decently um, pretty good speed. So I graduated college and I was kind of, I was a biology major, like public health psych minor. My parents kind of wanted me to kind of go, you know, the traditional medicine route. You know, like you go to school and then your parents want you to be a doctor. I was like, I, I don't know, mom and dad, I don't know if that's something that I could do. And then so my parents just kept listing things like, okay, fine, John, not doctor. What about a dentist? But I doctor, a pharmacist, <laughs> a nurse, <laughs> you know, it was just like a, just like a list. And then they just kept going down. And a lot of my cousins from my stepmom's side, they were in medicine, like some were doctors, some were surgeons, some were dentists, you know, pharmacists. So my dad was like, why don't you try for pharmacy? You know, so I, I pretty much was like, okay, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know, going into college. So I kind of just accepted my faith at that time, I guess. And I just went along with the major. But unfortunately, I got in. And then I think the classes, it was okay. I guess I was good at science, um, but, you know, it didn't really like fuel the fire for me. You know, you know how sometimes when you do something or when you study something, you have to have a focus, you know, you have to have an interest. So that way you can kind of like be in the zone with it. And for me, like wasn't really it. And then I also worked in the pharmacy for uh, I worked in retail pharmacy like three years counting pills for, for the pharmacist, you know, and it didn't really like sit well with me because I couldn't really see myself doing that. When I graduated, I kind of worked in a di different subsect of healthcare. I worked in the healthcare system, in the hospital with patients, specifically in like behavioral health. There, from there, I kind of transitioned from clinical to more administrative when we had to upgrade our software. So when we upgraded our software, I was tasked with training users how to use it. And then that's where, you know, the spark of like tech kind of interested me. Mm -hmm. So you started in kind of the field your family wanted you to be in. Kind of, And yeah. slowly transitioned into something you were more interested in. What Definitely. Was that, what was that experience like for, for your family? Like, how did they react to you going into a new field that was clearly more in your in line of interest? 
at first, it was a very tough conversation. Honestly, for like a year and a half, my dad and I, we lived in the same house, but we didn't really talk, you know, because of the decision that I made. But the only thing I wish I had done was probably come to him with <laughs> evidence, you know, based like data and research. And because ironically, my dad is that kind of person where um, he's not going to sway one way or another. And if I had backed it up with, hey, dad, like, I'm, I don't want to do this because of this X, Y, Z, and then give, you know, proper like information so he can kind of do his own research about it. Then I think our conversations would have gone probably a little bit better, which is something that I would urge, you know, like young kids or kids in college or even adults, you know, like the conversation that you have with your parents. I know, you know, generationally, we are in a different generation. There's like a a knowledge gap, an age gap with us and our parents and the old folks, you know, but I wish that I had come with it with more, you know, intention for like, hey, dad, it's not just because I'm rebelling, but because, you know, I did my research and this X, Y, Z, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's because like the Asian parents want the best for us, you know, the careers that their Asian parents want. You know, there's this saying about how like Asian parents want their kids to be doctors for the wrong reasons. It's not to <laughs> help people. <laughs> it's for the money. So it's mm-hmm. all about that. I guess trying to like solidify and reassuring them that what you're doing leads you to a stable career. And I think that's something a lot of Asian families and Asian kids can relate to. But to bring Vannery into the conversation, have you had that experience yourself with the career that you're currently in? Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I kind of left because um, John's actually going to meet my family for the first time and our families are very polar opposites. Um, but I guess I'll start with childhood. I'll follow the torch with that. But um, uh, yeah, so I was born in Fresno, California, which is where a lot of Southeast Asians um, were, you know, for migration issues. Um, they placed in like California. Well, for Cambodians, they're either they either live in California, um, Massachusetts, and then Virginia, and then there's like a growing population in Texas. But um, yeah, so but my father is um, he's actually French Creole. Um, my family's from Louisiana. But um, my parents actually met in college at Indiana University. So I was raised in Indianapolis. And if you know the history of Indiana, it's actually the birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan. So I feel like my experiences being um, Asian American wasn't necessarily understood because um, a lot of people didn't know Cambodia even existed as a country. So that was obviously an interesting um, conversation to have. But um, the area of Indianapolis that I was raised, most of the Asians were, I mean, it's, it's still even segregated to this day. They lived on the Northern side of Indianapolis with like all the white people. So I grew up in a predominantly high Latino and black neighborhood, though we still had like a lot of white people too. Um, I The best way I can describe my high school is a mixture of like Lizzie McGuire and Freedom Riders. Like we still had like a lot of gang violence, but I wasn't personally around it. I, I didn't end up going to Catholic schools for a little bit, but I was raised in a my stepfather is, um, is actually Roman Catholic and my mom still somewhat carries her Buddhist traditions, I think from a cultural sense, but I was raised very strict. The only thing I could do was school and sports, couldn't hang out with friends. I barely went to prom. But I think what's also interesting too, I had a lot of other friends that were um, mixed race as well. They were either black and white or black or Latina. So there was times where I they would always confuse me for being Dominican. 
And then my dad, my biological father ended up getting, ended up marrying a Mexican woman. So my baby sister is Mexican and black. So um, in our family, <laughs> they would call me the Asian one and my little sister, the Mexican one. Yeah, my experience, it was, it was interesting. Um, my mom actually either wanted me to be a nurse or an engineer. And I, I, this is what I told my mom. I don't do breath. I don't do body odor. And I, I'm definitely not one of those Asians that's good at math. I was always really good at writing. So I knew um, at a young age, I wanted to go into for, um, U.S. foreign policy, but I didn't necessarily know, knew what that looked like. And my grandfather actually worked for the U.S. embassy in Cambodia. He was um, their accountant before the Khmer Rouge took over. So during the period where my parents divorced, I would spend summers with my grandparents and he would actually teach me about what I now come to know is like um, U.S. ASEAN relations, but he would tell me about the policy politics and everything. But I think what's interesting about our relationship is the anti-Vietnamese sentiments are very strong in the Cambodian community. And so having to say like, hey, my partner is Vietnamese, it, it did not go well with my family at all. And his family loved me. It was great. I mean, the <laughs> only the only thing that's different is that, you know, when it comes to papaya salad, we eat our spicy as only <laughs> the only argument we do have. But, you know, um, and it's interesting too, because like most of the Black males on my father's side, they all date non-Black women, but that's something that I, that I face is like, um, they try to tell me like, oh, I think that I had that talk with a couple of men in the family, like, oh, you should be with someone Black, you're Black, with the one drop rule from like, you know, the slavery mentality. Um, and I think what's also interesting, my journey as going into U.S. foreign policy and even as um, being Asian, because I I faced the ungodly amount of racism <laughs> that I probably, if you want me to go into, I can, but I don't think anyone should have to go through what I went through in undergrad, but coming, moving out to the East coast, the Asians that are out here are very different. I didn't know what an ABB was. I didn't know what an ABG was. <laughs> I said, I remember my best friend is also Asian and black, but she's um, Caribbean. She's um, half Indian. And I told her, I said, why are all the Asians out here? Why do they all dress so nice? It was my first time seeing Asians play basketball. I said, huh? Because my cousins are straight Asian, so, <laughs> and I, I clearly, you know, with my personality, you know, we get along when we need to, but we don't really talk like that. But I think what's also interesting, too, when, when it comes to dealing with colorism in the Asian community, like I said, I'm not the darkest one, but I'm the only one in my family that's half Black, so... When I, when my cousins, when a couple of them, when they dropped out of school or when one of them took a little bit longer, they got no reprimanded. And they're all like Cambodian Chinese too. They got no reprimanded. But when it took me five years to graduate, and then when I got into Harvard, no one said anything. I didn't get a congratulations. I didn't get anything, which is fine. Cause like I said, they're not paying for my bills. But I think when it comes to how my family dealt with me wanting to take political science and international relations, they were not on board for it. Even for when it, when I went to learn Mandarin, you know, um, they I, they really honestly didn't believe in my dreams. And so I had a, a homeless to Harvard story where I was homeless for a year, um, working three jobs um, at the time, Mike Pence, before he was our vice president under the Trump administration, I was actually working under him. He was our governor for Indiana. And I used to get so mad because his secret service used to take my parking spot. And I really did not enjoy walking three um, blocks um, to the Indiana State House because it gets cold in Indiana. I mean, I know Canada is like a whole nother situation, but for me, um, <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, um, but yeah, my boss ended up losing the election because everyone voted a straight ticket. And we, at the at the time, I worked under the Department of Education. And so my boss lost a job, but I ended up getting hired at the United Nations um, doing uh, like budgetary compliance for the Department of Economic and Social Affairs. So that's kind of what started, but yeah, a lot of times I just, I had to learn a lot on my own. My parents didn't understand the value of networking. My parents didn't understand the value of like doing your research. And as much as I tried to explain them, they really honestly didn't come around until he came into the picture because of how um, the Midwest views relationship versus career. It's very different. But yeah, and then like now I currently work um, for a research think tank in Phnom Penh. So I focus on U.S. defense policies in the in, um, Indo-Pacific region um, with um, maritime um, and warfare. I think what's interesting, too, because my parents don't really understand what I do, too, because I remember when I initially made the big move to the to the East Coast, like, like I said, I didn't get any help from my family, whereas my cousins, they do the bare minimum, they get so much help. I literally had to sell everything that I own to come out here. And so once, like I said, he seen me sleep, I was literally sleeping on the floor with the mattress and I just had a little bit of clothes and obviously I worked my way up, but um, I ended up, I think what really, what really helped my career take off was I got to represent the US in the G20 summit in Tokyo. So we got to meet Prime Minister Abe and work with Japan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And I remember sending my mom these pictures and you know, with Asians, they're very passive and when they're, when they're right, they're right. You can't tell them anything else, but I'm sending them these pictures and it's kind of, they're kind of like, how? And now it's like they're starting to accept, but now um, like the elders in the families were, were like telling like the older boy cousins, like, why aren't you being successful like Vannery? So now it's causing a little bit of strife, but at the end of the day, it's really none of my business. I'm just following my dreams. But um, yeah, that's my journey so far. Wow. Incredible. You went over so many, I don't know, like we could take this in so many directions. I'm trying yeah. to figure out what, what, what our next play is. <laughs> yeah. Cause you, you just named so many different things. Uh, first of all, both of you guys are very accomplished people. Like, I appreciate that. Thank you. Both of you guys, Thank you. Um, I guess kind of, it's kind of a reminder that like Rhea, like, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel so young. Like, I feel like there's so much life left. I experience. <laughs> like I haven't accomplished anything yet. Like, <laughs> How did your ex life experience shape your identity? I think when I was, when I got into college, that was when I kind of was exploring more of, you know, I guess what it meant to be Vietnamese, like the culture. Cause you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, like Vietnamese, like eat pho, but you know, like that, <laughs> eat pho, <laughs> but like it goes beyond that, bro. You, you know, it goes beyond all, all of that. And so in college, one of the people that I met who was pretty open um, to inviting me, you know, he was like part of the VSA, like Vietnamese Student Association. So I was like, right, man, like, why not? You know, I just, I'm not going to lie. I was, you know, I went to a meeting and then I don't know why, but I just kept coming back. You know, <laughs> I just kept coming back and back. And then I started being involved with it, started being involved with like culture shows, started being involved with like the Aoyai and wearing it and modeling in the culture show and I even sang a Vietnamese song. I couldn't really tell. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't even tell. Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't even know about. Yeah, I don't even think I have the video anymore. Wait, um, you talk about like the old Vietnamese songs, like those classic, like old school, you know, pre-war. I mean, <laughs> the, the ones that our parents listed. No, 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 no. Well, well, a variation, a variation, a variation of uh, 
like a variation of a very popular Vietnamese pop song that I mean, you know, even the young kids know it, the grandparents know it, the parents know it. Um, but you know, after I sang it, I like, you know, it's funny that you brought that up because then right after the show, these parents came up to me. I was like, wow, like that was very good. And then, you know, I was like, wow, this I guess this is what pairs by nice singers. Like <laughs> this is the <laughs> this is the clout. Is this the clout that they get after the show, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, like and I just kind of just getting more and more involved. But even so, I feel like, um, you know, even lots of the Vietnamese Student Association, you know, like it's it's still very like American Vietnamese focus. And there's still aspects that could improve on, you know, um, in terms of really learning about art history and everything like that. But I kind of just knew it from the lens of my dad because he fought in the war and then my mom's family and then my stepmom, you know, like he escaping the war as refugees like I just kind of just learn it through a different lens you know through their lens and then I guess college and then life after college I kind of just wanted to seek to accept you know my identity more and more and more to me I feel like it's really hard for me to yes I do identify right as a Vietnamese Asian American but because I've had friends who are like Middle Eastern and you know African American and white and Hispanic and I think I have like a melting pot of like all of their personalities put together you know it just depends on however I am I'm like a shapeshifter like you know like however environment you put me in like I'm gonna roll with that and like shift personalities and you know like that's that's kind of the best way that I, I can really explain that you know being mixed race, you don't ever fully get a full grasp on your identity. Because my father, he has red hair, green eyes, very fair skin, you know, um, but he'll tell you like, I'm 100% Black. I guess there's this connotation of being Creole in the Black community that we don't necessarily touch upon because even Beyonce is part Creole too, you know. But yeah, growing up, um, I think my, like I said, I feel like being Cambodian in Indiana was like this foreign concept because in the out, like in the world that I was in, it, the country didn't exist, the culture didn't exist. But whenever I would see my family, you know, we have our traditional music videos, elders, karaoke. Um, I can't even think of like the gambling set with like all the different pictures and the dice, you know, but you know, then we have Cambodian New Year in April. And so I'm sitting here thinking like, what's going on? And I remember talking to my step-grandparents and I think I was telling her that I went to eat rice but I was calling rice like Numbai and and she was like no this is rice and I was just like mom why are you telling me two different words of how to call like one single dish and it wasn't even like the right rice like my like my grandma was making Uncle Ben's rice or some sort of instant rice because I was like why don't you have jasmine rice and then my mom was explaining to me like this is American rice this is Asian rice and I was like oh okay well I was sick so I was like what do I know um but yeah I think what's also interesting too is that I feel like for a lot of like mixed kids, whenever it's like a non-Black woman, they just, ought, mom, a lot of women want to be friends with my mom. But once my mom saw how they were raising their kids, my mom definitely wasn't having it because a lot of them had a lot more freedom um, than I did. Uh, my mom was not, definitely not okay with me like running the streets. She wanted me to stay home and study. So there was that portion of it. But I think it wasn't until I got to high school and college that's when my identity really really started to form because everyone kept telling me like you don't look Asian you're not light skin um you're not Chinese your eyes don't slant and I'm sitting here thinking like but that's but Asians aren't monolith we don't all look the same you know there's 
first of all, Asia is a big continent as it already is. And there's so many different cultures, you know, or they'll just say, or they'll think because my mom's super tan that she's half black too, because they've never seen tan Asians. Um, so I think there was that piece too, but I never not wanted to be Asian because I definitely got a lot of privilege from it in, in the black community as well, just from like a hair texture. But but that part of my identity was also hard to grasp too, because for a long time, for, um, for a lot of us, we didn't have hair products for our hair. So my mom honestly really struggled on how to take care of it because my hair was like without price, like really, really thick and curly. And so um, I think the other thing that I'm really super proud of my mom for is that a lot of people would try to pressure me to have straight hair. And that's like something that we really, really face in the black community. Um, but I've also seen movements in the Asian community to embrace like naturally curly and wavy hair. One of my friends actually created her organization is called API Curls and she um, um, highlights different people of like the Asia diaspora and talking about how they came with their hair journey and like loving their skin they're, that they're in because as you know, the skin bleaching creams are very big in the, the Asian culture as well. Um, but yeah, so in high school, I think I was definitely fetishized, fetishized by a lot of black men because they would say things like, oh, I never fucked an Asian bitch. Like I wanna fuck you or sorry if I'm being crude. I didn't know if I was allowed to cuss. No, 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 but, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, sorry, that was a little blunt. Sorry, I didn't love black. Me being very appalled by this. Okay. okay. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, there'll there'll be a lot of like that connotation or this type this type of, of self-entitlement because of how Asian women were portrayed in media or how mixed race women, because um in Louisiana they would have plissages where they like mixed race women were legal concubines of like white slave owners. So I think that mentality was passed down. But then in college, um we had an Asian student union. We also had a Filipino student association. We had a VSA, but like I said, most of the VSA, they were all like from Vietnam. So they didn't really talk to us. And then there was like a big division between the South Asians too. So it's like they did their own thing. And then the rest of the continent, I don't know, the rest of the continent diaspora would do their own. But it was interesting because they people would spread rumors that I wasn't really Asian. Like it was very wild what I went through in college. Um, even like my professors would tell me that I wasn't as academically strong as my white colleagues. Like just ungodly forms of racism a person really shouldn't go through. And then I think it was my first time dealing with like the intercultural racism, like the colorism, especially from, cause like we had a lot, a big Filipino, um, um, like community at um, IU and a lot of them were half white. So I think it was like this competition of who was more Asian because I was the only one that was half black. And then my other friends that were half Asian and black, they like their moms were adopted by white people. So they're like, we're not even going to join because they're, they're not accepting you and you're raising the community. Like, we don't want to go through that as well. So it was like this really, really big tension. And then it was to the point where a lot of a lot of the other Asians would say to me, how are you more successful than me? You're black and you're darker, you know? Um, so like I said, it was definitely was a journey, but I think the reason why I had to go through that because of the field that I'm in, like I said, US Asia policy is very white male dominated. I had to be comfortable with who I am, whether that meant as a person, as a black woman and as a Cambodian, you know? And then what's also interesting too, after, oh, and then there was one time I took like an Asian studies course and <laughs> the teacher is Japanese and he actually made this comment to me. He goes, uh, you know, it's not important to learn about 
Cambodian and the loud um, story because you guys are just another refugee story. So he was touching on his favorite Asian cultures. You know, Vietnam was one of them, you know, like the lighter, like the lighter cultures. And he did touch on the Philippines too, but not on like the, like the indigenous Negritos, right? Um, so I, that's why I thought it was very interesting. But then going into now and being around and even just being with John and seeing like how the ABBs and like AB, ABGs respond to us, that's been very interesting because I've never seen one up close until I moved out here. So, that, so Every time we step out, man. Every time. And we live around a lot of, out. and we live around a lot of boba <laughs> shops and I'm like, do they just drink boba? If they drink as much water as they drink boba, man, they would be so healthy because it's just ungodly amounts of boba. But um, yeah, so- I used to have an addiction to boba. We didn't have yeah. boba shops in Indianapolis, yeah. not like good ones anyway. So, but yeah, when I started and then just being at Harvard, having to come out here before we moved back to Cambridge, being even around the Asian elites has been a whole nother journey when it comes to my identity. Because when I went to um, Japan for the conference, and these are like very, very rich Japanese, like children of Japanese families, like part of like that, like that generational wealth. So they're looking at me and the way they view Southeast Asians, you know, the Japanese were kind of like, so let me get this straight. You're representing the United States, you're Cambodian and you're black. <laughs> and then this is what you're talking about. So having to challenge that norm of what it means to be like from the Southeast Asian diaspora in like this Asian elitism has been, um, it's been challenging, but I also had to make sure that you have to be in a, a way, uh, be in a right state of mind to educate people as well. Um, because like I said, I dealt, definitely dealt with a lot of wild comments, but you know, sometimes I had to learn how to take a mental, like mental health break because sometimes it gets to be so much, especially when you're dealing with whether it's US Vietnam relations or US ASEAN relations and having to prove your Asian-ness when someone's saying like, oh, I'm more Asian than you, Vannery, because I grew up by Little Saigon in San Francisco, or I studied abroad for a semester when our communities are struggling, no matter what country you go to, you know, Southeast Asians here in the U.S. have the highest levels of gang violence, teenage pregnancy, we barely go to school, you know, and it's like you only want like certain parts of our culture, but you're not accepting us as a whole. And I think that's what really I had to come in terms of with myself as I was going through um, my past in order to fully embrace myself so I can just progress forward with my career. Something we really wanted to examine throughout the show is um, the relationship between the Asian community and the Black community. As someone in that intersection, what are some, what are your general thoughts on the relationships between the community and how it can improve moving forward as we kind of address the issues that we both face? I feel like for one, one thing that would, that would definitely help is within our school systems, especially as we're and like in elementary school, it's just learning about the solidarity, like what the community, both communities have done for each other, right? Like, I think it would have been great if we learned um, during the civil rights movement that Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting for the admission of Indo-Chinese refugees, right? And about how the civil rights movement wasn't a black and white solution, it was for all people of color. Um, and then even just learning about um, the Hindu priest Muktananda and about how he really pushed for interracial um, marriages here along with the love case that also passed with the Supreme Court. Like having not just a Eurocentric history, but being more inclusive of 
all cultures because I know in at least in the Midwest, it's so Eurocentric that most people think that Asia consists of four or five of the main countries you typically hear about that you don't hear about Laos or Cambodia or even some of like the Pacific Islands. So I think that's one key key is the um, is the education portion. But then even going for on social media, which is which is is a little bit tricky because I know there's a lot of misinformation that's being pumped through countries that are not our allies, which I won't mention. But um, you know trying to teach kind of like our younger generation how to sift through like um, disinformation and racial rhetoric and to know what's true and what's false because there's a lot of false information out there that wants to perpetuate and keep the violence going between those two communities which essentially white supremacy pushes for is to hold on to this power that they have and then um, also just learning not and just even teaching our elders not to be so focused on what's being pushed out on the media when it comes to certain groups because I know with my grandparents when my when my mom brought my father home they're sitting there like why would you bring a black man home this is <laughs> this is what their image is and with us being a young, younger generation having those dialogues um, with them and I think also too even when it comes to um, things that happened in the past like with the LA riots when the African-American girl got killed by the Korean shop owner teaching about um, mistakes that happen and how we can learn from them in the future. And I do think dialogue is a big portion of it because from stuff that I've seen from my friends, um, a lot of the conversations have been, why should we fight for y'all? We're always fighting for y'all, but y'all aren't fighting for us. And I think just having people saying like, hey, this is what we've been doing, like keeping that track record of Black and Asian um, um, coalition, like a track record, which I know the information is out there, but trying to make it more accessible because not everyone might, might be a strong researcher. So those are some of my thoughts on that. Yeah, Um definitely important to have those dialogues and come to understand each other and like I think one thing that I want to point out is if, if we could just come together and unify like we could we could do a lot if we just mm -hmm. work together um, and that's something that we hope people can learn from you know this conversation and, and the yeah. show in general yeah for sure definitely mm -hmm. and you know you you mentioned it a couple of times and I think I should congratulate you guys because you are recently engaged Oh, um, yes. oh yes congratulations thank you thank, thank you. you when's the wedding if that's happening anytime <laughs> soon yeah it's we're planning for uh summer 2023 yeah summer 2023. Yeah. yeah hopefully yeah. that everything is open in yeah. your area by then it sounds like oh yeah, yeah 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 like i'm in talks with like one of the owners of the venue that we're thinking of having it at so mm -hmm. yeah we were just trying to move that along Mm -hmm. Sound, sounds great. Uh, looking forward for that for you guys and congratulations once once again. But um, on that, Vannery, you mentioned that your family, your parents were in an inter interracial marriage and you are also, as, as you, Vannery and John, you guys are also in an inter interracial relationship. You've touched on it a couple of times, but um, I guess I want to start with like how you guys met and uh how this came to be yeah um <laughs> yeah you, yeah I'll you tell take <laughs> yeah um so i actually got back in town um in um, christmas like right before the christmas before covid happened i know sometimes the years the days kind of run together but yeah i was at this um prominent uh, uh club in dc i wasn't you know it was christmas um 
vegetables with my friends. And it's funny because the club has like three different floors. And on Saturdays, um, it's like Asian night on one of the floors. So it's like all every single Asian category that you can think of is all on the floor. And then meanwhile, everyone else is on like the second and third floor. And I wasn't on the first floor because it, get, it gets kind of packed downstairs. But you know, John's 6'3", so he's pretty tall. Like, you're going to, you're going to see him. <laughs> so, he, so he comes up to me and says, um, what's up with you? I think you're really pretty. And I said, oh, thanks. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was ready for that. I was ready for that. <laughs> And so, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so uh, my friends are like, being like, what are you doing? And I was just like, well, at the time, I just got out of a situation shift. So I wasn't really like looking for anything. I was like, mm, I was like, guys are kind of gross right now. Um, and so then they were like, oh, I should get his number or whatever. So I gave him mine. And then our first date, which was actually really rocky, but it wasn't with each other. It was with the situation we were in, but I'll let him tell that. But it was at this, like, it's called an Asian food hall. Like, so we don't have them in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Everything is new, but um, yeah. called the the block. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's like an Asian, you know, cafeteria, food hall type style where you, you, where you know how you go in. It's like a venue, but you have multiple vendors, right? Like, there's more, like, you can have bubble tea, you can have sushi, pho, bun mi, like, whatever whatever you want yeah yeah you know yeah. You go through different different vendors and i just i usually just get like a whole bunch of of things and um you know like we came through and then we sat down and and i kid you not for a whole like 30 minutes nobody acknowledged us or nothing like that like until um you know i could you know, very was you know getting she would just you know, I wanted to lighten the mood, you know, because I saw her anxiety. I could sense that she was anxious, you know. So I was like, All right, you want to get a drink? And then we just, we got the drink. Um, but then once the bartender handed her the drink, like, he just kind of just gave her a look, you know. And I was just trying to, like, remain, uh, you know, I'm just, like, trying to chill and not be too upset at the situation. Even though I was really upset, but I wasn't really showing it, you know, because I didn't want to, like... Like, what am I going to do? Reach over and punch him in the face? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, um, and then I think another 20 minutes went by and then some girl bartender comes, server comes, oh, can I help you with anything? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we've been waiting here for like a dish, like what, almost an hour. And then, you know, we got the menu and then we just kind of went to the individual vendors and we ordered but the thing is is once again they didn't really acknowledge vanity you know and i'm very big on like you know of course as a as a partner um you know like now in retrospect of of that particular uh date that we had of course i want to always be protective you know kind of make sure that whether it's, you know, future wife or, you know, back then it's like a girl that I'm getting to know, want to make her feel comfortable and everything. Um, but I could sense that, like, they didn't really want to acknowledge her, you know? Like, it's because, like, you know, they're curious because Danny is obviously African-American and also, like, Kamai, like, Cambodian. And so maybe sometimes their looks and their stares, and it's kind of a gray area, you know? Like, sometimes it's like, oh, they're curious or sometimes it's like, oh, they're like being rude or disrespectful, but passively because they would never say anything. They would just keep looking, you know? And I'm just like, you know, as humans, like nobody likes being stared at in general, you know? But for, for various points, like because of her, you know, how she is, her 
physique, her appearance and everything. It's like, it just heightens the anxiety even more, you know, and gives like a not very good vibe. But anywho, you know, we sat down and we just like ate. Like it was a good conversation. It was a good meal. But then like, you know, ABG, ABB group was like, <laughs> like in the other corner and they just kind of just look like glanced over here and there. So that's something that like we face all the time. And, you know, Jeffrey, like you mentioned, you're in an interrelation, uh, you're in the interracial relationship as well. So it's like, you know, I'm not sure if you and your person, you know, significant other had ever experienced that, but, you know, it's kind of like those things where you kind of really have to balance, like, Hey, I'm going to be chilling with my girl here, but like trying to have a good time. But um, I'm also going to try to like make her feel comfortable and be, mindful of everything else that's going on around you know like the, the, the surrounding so like I think that's something that's been a balance for me is to like not go completely off because you know um in the past like I have gotten pretty upset about it you know and but now I'm just like more just trying to breathe through it and then trying to help her as well John, you brought up a point that I want, well, you reminded me of a point that I actually wanted to talk about. Because mm-hmm. um, you brought up the point that, you know, you shot your shot. You're the one who, you know, went up to her and said, Yes, you know, sir. <laughs> and you know what the thing is, uh, like, one of the things we talked about when the, throughout the show is kind of like the experience of um, an Asian male. Yes. In terms of kind of like the lack of confidence and also the way we're viewed is quote unquote more feminine at the same time. Um, I know for me, from my experience, like something I will admit is like, I've never shot my shot per se. And I guess I'm also because of the fact that like, I live in the newer generation where my ex- I never had the in-person experience either. All of my experiences have been through the apps. <laughs> yeah yeah there's nothing wrong with that okay but you do lose a little bit of like that natural meetup that you know yeah the the great love stories have and i i kind of like your story i'm like oh man that's so nice and cute you know yeah um but i guess like what was your relationship with the idea of dating and your attractabilities and like uh your confidence when it comes to (laughs) women i guess i guess (laughs) <laughs> yeah man I like the way you I like the way you phrase that yeah I would I would like to say that um you know for me definitely I've dated like outside my prior to very like I dated outside my race before you know um and I think that's what kind of helped me get out of my shell and like build this confidence um you know like I also like to dance you know I mean I mean may, I mean I may or may not be good at you know like he's <laughs> like uh John like are you even on beat like every day every day Every day, like I'll be like washing the dishes and I was listening to like Fabio or like Pop Smoke or whatever. And then like, I was just like, you know, just chilling, you know? And then, and then she's like, oh, you're not even on beat. <laughs> I was like, He's on beat. I'm just yeah, 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 man. You know, yeah, she was, you know, like, I think that definitely, um, yeah, like another point I've um, got to brought up, which helps to kind of solidify, you know, the point that you want me to make is that I also like they like you know hip-hop choreo like dancing break dancing or something like that in college and you know a little bit after so i kind of so every time i go out you know i'm not like full-blown like choreography move and stuff but you know i could hold my own you know just dancing and stuff so i think with you know liquid courage and dancing man you know like it can the conversation can go go however you know i just kind of went up and just did my thing and i like i think for me um what helps is not really 
I didn't have any expectations of how the interaction would go. It's not like I came in like, yes, I'm getting Barry's number or else, you know? It was just really a good time. Like, my man, was, he was, like, somewhere else just trying to talk to some girl and I, whatever. I was like, all right, man, like, <laughs> you know, do your thing. I was just chilling. And then, yeah. And then I think for me, it's, like, when I see, uh, like, it's, like, yeah, like, what I want, I just kind of just try to go for it, you know? Um, but I definitely see, like, your point. Yeah, like, the Asian male, like, persona would definitely seen as like to the community you know to the public eye like feminine you know like wearing makeup you know all this all those things not non-masculine even though you see like asian american actors you know actresses and you know think people even in the music industry you know just just a lot of people coming up you know so i think for me um if there was no hip-hop trap music playing and then uh, I couldn't dance, then maybe it would have been a different story. I might have to, like, drink a few before I go talk, before, you know, I would talk to her. But, you know, I guess it just all worked out that night, I guess. <laughs> also, I also want to add on to this because the person that I was involved with before him was a very fobby a Japanese like rich guy and the way that they both came like shot their shot were very different <laughs> um John was not nervous at all he was just very relaxed with them but my ex was very like oh my gosh may I follow you on Instagram and <laughs> I was just like what <laughs> and I think I was his like I wasn't his first American but I definitely was his first like black mix and I think he was definitely lost in the sauce and it <laughs> like I said um I definitely had my own version of crazy rich Asians because that was some bullshit but <laughs> you know I'm definitely I definitely got a winner here because I was like I have to be with someone that's comfortable around being around black people like I think I was very happy when John was okay with being the only Asian in the group and I think that's something that was very important to me because I know that sometimes you also have to be comfortable with knowing that there might be like someone in the group that may not be okay with us being together because of this notion that black women should just stay within their race but like I said John can definitely hold his own yeah like I like I um you know in the beginning when I was dating Banner, like, I was like, hey, babe, like, you know, I just want to let you know, like, if we go somewhere and then you see, like, they're just starting dapping me up, like, you just know that that's what it is. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And at, she, at she didn't, you know, at first she was like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, and then, like, you know, she was just curious to, and I was like, well, we can't really, like, experiment this unless we're facing in a situation where it happens. And literally, like, every time, like, I, Every time I go out, well, they'll, they'll look at me or they'll look at her. I mean, some of them would look at us in our, you know, interracial dynamic and be like, wow, like another one, you know, another one. Like, man, I'm tired of this shit, like this mm -hmm. and that or whatever, you know, like they'll get all pissed off. And I'm just like, but, and, you know, some of them will be with white girls. Some of them will be Latina. Some of them will be with whomever, you know. And I think for if you, if that's who you're attracted to or if that's who you love or then that's on then that's that's okay you know like I have a very open mind like if that's you like who you like you love who you love and like who are we to tell other people who they should be with and et cetera et cetera you know um because we're in this generation like everyone has an open mind but yeah like literally like they'll dap me up and like they'll like they know me 
<laughs> yeah. Like like there is uh one of uh her friends is this known DC club promoter DC you know club promoter out in DC. And I think one night I just went out and then like he was there and then he was just <laughs> and then the, the funny thing was like he was texting her like yo like which one is your fiance and then there he goes yo man <laughs> He's the only Asian guy in there, and he's tall as shit. So how come? <laughs> Apparently, he passed me a couple of times, and then he comes up and asks me, "He's like, yo, yo, what's good, bro?" <laughs> and then he takes out his phone. He takes out his phone and goes to Barry's Instagram, and he's like, "Yo, bro, is this your girl right here?" I was like, "Yeah." And then you, and then he's like, "Oh, yo, yo, what, what's good, bro? My name is Gio. I was trying to look for you. I was like, but I'm the only Asian guy in this place." <laughs> I was like, I'm the only Asian guy here. Like, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be too hard. But yeah, like, I don't know. Um, you know, like, apparently, I've been told by you know even my friends who are black, like you, like John, like, like you good, you know, like the, <laughs> I'm just like, hi, okay, I'm good, I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, you you meant something was brought up, which is so true. The sauce, you know, like yeah. personality. I think, like, yeah, I don't know, you're upbringing just relating to everything we've been talking about so far just like how the setting we grew up in the environment we grew up in influences the person we are i guess the advantage that you have and in some ways the advantage that i have in growing up in areas that are non-traditionally like not predominantly asian Mm -hmm. is to have these like unique things about us that kind of differentiates us from like more of the traditional Asian because my observations of course I can't I don't like generalize this I won't speak for every single Asian man but my observation of the traditional Asian man is they don't even I feel like there's like this culture of being focused on strictly school Mm -hmm. in that sense and that affects their social skills which is why they might come off as the awkward like kind of like you're right like they're not knowing the right questions or how to like shoot their shot or whatever it may be, you know. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And it's funny because even like the Asians that I've been around that went to like the really rich boarding schools, if they're only around white people, you can tell they're so comfortable with them. So when they see people like us, they're like, how do I even talk to them? How do I even communicate with them? And then once we start sharing things and having that dialogue, everything becomes like we're in a museum. And I think I also kind of gotten tired of it because it's like, you know, I understand that I'm not in your world that, you know, mommy and daddy didn't pay for everything with me. We had to get it on our own because we're from non-traditional communities. And you know, like I said, it was definitely no hard feelings, but you can tell that sometimes even with our stories of how we work through so much, um, because I know you said earlier that you were really young and you had self-accomplished a lot, but trust me, you will. When you have stories like us, there's literally nothing that we can't do because of how much our parents or any of our family members sacrifice. And it's like they almost, because they had so much privilege to just focus on school and not worry about what meal are they going to eat? Or do they have to sleep in the car the next day because they're homeless or whatever the case may be. We have this skill set of thinking, finding out of the box solutions to really complex issues that a textbook can't teach you. Absolutely. And um, it kind of relates to the topic of interracial dating. And as someone who, who who's in one as well, there's definitely different topics within that um, and different things to look out for as well. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the biggest things is kind of like the intention of the relationship. 
Um, you mentioned, uh, John, you were talking about how breakdancing, just dancing in general affected your sauce. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, I think the for me, my thing is like my my love for hip hop music and hip hop culture. Yes, and yes. I feel like that's why I've been. I feel like that's why the relationship in like when it comes to like being in an interracial relationship becomes a natural thing and clearly is shown as like more of a genuine thing. But mm-hmm. there's also the dark side to that, and I guess. For both of you guys, what are some of the things that you guys look out for to make sure that the intentions of the relation is pure and not a fetish? Oh, great, great question. That's a great question. Yeah, I think for, I, yeah, <laughs> she's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, John, you can start. <laughs> I'm gonna see what you're gonna say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, like I would say, you know, one of the things that Venery was very like, proud of of me and happy and just like by grace she was like thank you god thank you jesus is that like i never came at her from like this fetish you know thing where she was like yeah john like i really appreciate how you don't tell me wow like you know you're just so like you're 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 beautiful for a you know yes yeah or you're this for a this you know i just my my girl said that like people would call her like words like chocolate oh you know and all that type of okay stuff. okay yeah, like that, those are problematic things too. yes sir yeah definitely you know so and then um very you know like i very has taught me so much about you know women's like hair movement and everything that but even prior to that i wasn't like wow your hair is so this or like or or like babe like you would look so much better if you straighten your hair or this or that you know like i just kind of somehow intuitively like subconsciously I knew not to like to say those things you know and I think it was probably also had to do with the fact that one of my first I would say um African-American you know girlfriend or girl that my parents just kind of got used to it you know because it wasn't just it wasn't just one it was you know like a you know like um a few and so like I think my parents as you know little tiny Vietnamese like old parents you know like I'm grateful that they understood and that they had an open mind because my stepmom was just like um just yeah if she is a good person and you have true intentions and she has true intentions of you guys building this life together and supporting each other through the ups and the downs and that's really all i care about like i don't really care about like skin color or melanin or skin tone or you know or straight hair curly hair or or things of that nature you know so i think for me i guess um maybe i was just i guess in some ways was i defiant you know to my parents when i decided to date interracially yes but they understand, you know, like, eventually they get it. It's like, you know, if you tell a kid now who's in an interrelational relationship who has issues with their parents right now, they're like, no, my parents are never going to get it. They're never going to understand, but really, like, they will, you know, like, it's just a matter of how you, how you move in the relationship and how you navigate those conversations with them, you know, if you're like, oh mom and dad i'm dating this 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 i don't give a fuck like whatever you say then it's like then then that's the energy that's gonna be but if it's you like 
you seek to kind of educate them and help them navigate the, the space that you're in, like they'll, they'll understand. Cause I actually try to like tell my parents like um, what it is like, you know, um, going through interracial race, because for the thing is our parents, like sometimes they don't get it because they never experienced it, you know? So it's like, how are you, you can't, they're not mind readers. Like you can't expect them to know how to have these conversations or know how to uh, receive or how to, feel or you know are or or even have them have an opinion or develop a perspective on what they don't know so i think we have to educate our parents if with the um you know because we're talking about interracial dating like that's that seems to be the 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 topic of which you know we have to educate our parents on you know what i'm saying Right. And before we get to you, Bannery, I just wanted to uh, ask another question, John, because you mentioned that you've dated several uh, black women. Um, I think and as someone <laughs> who's also had more than one black partner. Uh, uh, right. Wait, I should have I should have just stated it like you. So now, like, you know, <laughs> Mary's going to get me in trouble now. <laughs> I'm about to be in trouble with her now. I'm about to be in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. No, well, no, it's like those are the type of questions because I, I feel like I'm always a, a self-aware person. So even yeah. though I know my intentions are, I still try to question myself. Definitely. To hold myself accountable. So I guess, definitely, like, definitely. Have, have you thought about like, like, you know, you know what I'm getting at, right? Like kind of like, do you try to see like if this is, leading into something that you might not know about yourself that in a bad way or sorry <laughs> 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 I, I realized i just set you up bad 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 no it's okay it's okay okay so so if i'm so if i'm hearing you clearly like are you saying like um do let me explain like like for yeah. me for example even like i it's not like i had like a long list of partners anyways but even yeah. having my second uh, black partner I had to question like okay like is am I just trying to look for a black woman or whatever maybe but obviously I wasn't but I still had to ask those type of questions like would I is it the fact that I'm not open to other races or whatever maybe mm-hmm. or am I, or is it maybe I'm in environments or right. my personality is yes like, okay I get you I get what you're yeah. saying okay thank you for that clarification yeah like I yeah I would say that it's probably like a mixture of everything you know definitely like how I definitely like my friends group like who I grew up around like um you know they were you know some of my friends were into of course hip-hop culture basketball like Kobe you know like football like um things of that nature so that's what gravitated them towards that but also um you know what I learned from Barry is that obviously African-American culture is way more than that you know it goes be beyond just that. And so the interesting thing is, although my friends were, they knew what they knew about African-American culture, but I guess even now when I teach them more, it's based on knowledge base from her. So it's like a knowledge transfer, like Barry teaches me. And then I tell them about it. They're, they're all, they, they have an open mind, you know, like they're very open about it to receiving information and, and things like that. So I think like that's that's very good but I think for me just my personality just who I am um who I surround myself with and I think it's just that my partner just so happens to be you know very you know just so happens to be half Asian and half African American I I think now this is perfect because now we can transition to uh Vannery I think you have a lot to say on your experience and the interracial side and 
what's interesting is as much as I love my mom and I do understand that, you know, as I came to the U.S. and my mom didn't get a whole lot of guidance when it came to relationships because my mom was supposed to be in an arranged marriage. I've seen my mom, um, not to say she was dating all sorts of men, but I do see flaws in both like my stepfather and my biological father. And I didn't want those flaws in my relationship so there was toxic red flags that I would look for and as soon as I see it I would cut it off because um like I said the mindset versus the midwest from the east coast to the west coast are very very different I definitely was more career focused but um one of the first red flags that I noticed, and I, like I said, I didn't really have at that point because, like I said, I'm fetishized, fetishized all the time for being mixed race. So, like, I know it when I see it, but I'm more so focused on the person myself. But I didn't want to be with a partner where I had to prove on basically why my Asianness mattered in the relationship. There were so many times when I was dating so many males, and they would say, like, we love how being half Cambodian makes you look, but we don't care about it or your culture doesn't matter, or your culture sounds stupid, or your food stinks, something crazy and outlandish, right? And so I think for me personally, I knew I personally wanted to be with an Asian because it was just also easier, you know? But even then, if I was dating someone that was East Asian, they would say things, some of them will say things like, well, you guys aren't really smart, or you guys aren't really Asian, even though Cambodia is like right there on the continent, you know? So that was one red flag was like not having to prove why being Cambodian mattered in the relationship. Um, and then I think the second one, like I said, we're in DC. So, you know, money, power, success, career focus. I, what I didn't want in a partner was for someone to be like, I want to be with you because I know you're going to be successful because I knew what was attached by my name. I didn't tell John I was even at Harvard probably until like a little bit until we started dating or just even where I worked or anything. Like, I just wanted him to get to know me personally. And so when someone starts probing those types of questions or it's like the way they, they feel entitled to that information, that's when I would um, cut it off immediately. And I think what also led me to liking John a little bit more is that um, the part where he talked about when we were at the bar, um, the person, honestly, he snatched my card out of my hand. He threw my card at me. Right. And so the bartender wasn't nice to me until he saw that my last name was Kong. Right. And so when we got in the car after the day, he said to me, like I said, this is the first day he goes, what can I do to make sure that that doesn't happen again on our second date? And I was like, so are you asking me, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like a follow up question. To be honest, you know, it was it was traumatizing because they in my opinion, I don't feel like they were looking at you. I think that like that the intention was more on me. And I was very confused about the situation within itself because Roddy Rich's album just dropped. So that whole album was playing in the background at the restaurant that we're at. So I was very confused. I said, first of all, you're wearing Jordans and we're listening to Roddy Rich. And I'm I'm literally sitting like I'm I'm very confused. <laughs> and then um one of the places was like a 
like an Asian fusion, like Korean taco place or whatever. And, you know, the two, the two uh, men that were like taking the orders, they were, um, they were black too. They didn't even want to take my order. And I said, sir, I'm, I'm just, you know, I just really want some food, you know? So I think, like I said, I'm pretty laid. I mean, I know I can be extra. I'm not going to sit here and lie on this podcast, but (laughs) for the most part, when it comes to food, uh, I'm pretty laid back. Like I'm not really too extra on things. And a lot of the restaurants that are out here like we don't have back home so whenever john's kind of like oh do you want to get korean barbecue i'm like oh yeah sure you know and i think what's interesting is when we go to these restaurants john has been not that he was doing a bad job but he's been doing a better job at doing like nonverbal communication like if he sees that i'm like i'm starting to tense up because people are intensely looking at me or kind of like what you mentioned um to before when it comes to when you're at like a restaurant and they give you a fork instead of chopsticks like when they automatically assume um you know john will be very great at kind of like transitioning his like privilege to me um you know and it's funny because like i said my best friend's also asian and black but she's from jamaica and her partner is trini and if you know the history between trinidad and jamaica the same history as us and so Dylan, his, our friend's name is Dylan. Dylan also had to kind of like show John like how he handles it with Brit- with my best friend, Brittany, because Dylan's also half Italian and Brittany looks very similar to me. So it's like also communicating with our other friends that are in, in interracial relationships about how to handle situations. Or this other time when we were at a hot pot restaurant and the owner was like, you look like you've eaten hot pot before. And it's like, how are you supposed to respond to that? Because I think I was trying to make McMom sauce, but I couldn't find a <laughs> line but I was like okay we're just gonna make this we're just gonna make this happen and so I remember asking them for some lime and then I was just like oh yeah we eat hot pot in Cambodia we call it Yahan he was like oh I've never been there I didn't know I just I didn't want to assume I said yeah but you did yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> so um also when whenever there's like white people around like kind of like those different food hostels we live around a couple of them a lot of t- or when we're at the grocery store the grocery store is our favorite place because they'll look at me like I don't belong there and I I'll just straight up roll my eyes and they almost get offended when I do that. But John has been better. I just like, you know, kind of like giving them like a death there or just like holding my hand or just telling me that it's okay. Because I think during COVID it's when I learned that I really do have high anxiety, but I've never had it treated. Um, because I'm sometimes like when you're in environments where you're like that, when you stick out like a sore thumb, it just, it's just kind of naturally there. But yeah, so like that's pretty much has been our experience. Or sometimes I like to play mind games because I'll wear my Harvard stuff on purpose. It's like you're gonna look, so I'm just gonna give you something to look at. And then sometimes John and I will literally make a game of counting about how many like um like body languages will count because they'll literally like jump when they see it, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like we'll like uh we'll, she'll like squeeze my hand and I'll squeeze hers and then it's like one squeeze or two or three. <laughs> you know? yeah. We just kind of play the squeezing game, you know. Um, because I think that as you know, like facing those microaggression and looks and stuff as an interracial couple, it's like, you know, you kind of want to not like um you don't want to hyperly focus on the situation too much where you know the vibe is off like you're trying to have a good meal with your with your person and then you want to you know just have a good time and just chill without having to worry about it but you do want to acknowledge it so like we have found you know like Barry said we have found certain ways to be able to acknowledge like that that's what's going on currently but it isn't a permanent thing you know like 
my mindset is like, you know, it's not a permanent thing, you know? So, so like afterwards we'll laugh about it. Um, but I think something that definitely I like to share that definitely helps is just me just being a better listener and communicator of, and then very as well communicating to me how, her feelings and how she feels. And for me, literally everything that she says of how she feels is valid to me, you know, like she doesn't have to overly justify or overly validate the way she feels, um, you know, whether it's dealing with like black elitists or, you know, light-skinned Asians or et cetera, et cetera, that who may not be good or whom she's had a bad experience with, whether she's faced it solo or we faced it together. I always seek to try to understand and validate how she feels, you know? Absolutely. And I just wanted to examine in depth with the dynamic of the Asian man and the black woman. Though there has been more of that from my observations. We talked about the portrayal of Asian men within the world, but we, there's also the portrayal of black women. And especially kind of like the contrast on a stereotypical sense, talking about the Asian's feminine passiveness versus the black woman's quote unquote aggressiveness and their vocalness, something that's critiqued within, even within the black community itself. I guess, how do you guys like, um, the question, I'm still trying to figure out the question, maybe like, are you guys aware of those dynamics and kind of mm -hmm. how do you combat that? And how did that affect maybe even the dynamics of a relationship? Vanner, you did bring up a point that kind of caught my ear about how like Asian men are easier I guess you can maybe explain that a little bit more. Oh, well, when I'm when I said that, I was saying that it it, were, it was more of accepting of my Asianness because like I said, I was raised by my mom. My mom raised me in, in a Khmer culture. So I hold on to all my traditions. And a lot of times when I did date, you know, African American men or Latino men, you know, I felt like I was fetishized more versus if I dated an Asian man. Oh. Um um, and I do think that um, when you are engulfed in your culture, it definitely makes a difference because it's almost like I have this balancing act that I have to do as well. Because do I face the stereotypes of being a Black woman? Absolutely. But at the same time, it's also still a different dynamic because my Asian side, they're not the most accepting of John's and I's relationship because of the history of Vietnam and Cambodia. And so that's a different, um, that's a whole other story within itself. But as far as what you're asking, um, there was one time when we went to South Carolina. And like I said, too, when people, when they, so when they do look at me, they're going to know that I'm Black. I mean, I, I don't really have an issue with that, but when they have the mindset that, that Asians are a monolith, that's when a lot of questions start to come out because the other couple that we've met said, what do you guys even have to talk about? And so for me, like I said, I study comparative history, comparative um, politics all the time. So I had to say like, you know, Vietnam and Cambodia are right next to each other geographically, you know, Vietnam um, practices Mahayana Buddhism, Cambodia practices Theravada Buddhism. Here's the history. Here's what we have in common. So it's like you have to teach them about a certain part of the world they don't know exists. Or if they're used to seeing Cambodians, it's the one of Chinese descent and not knowing what the actual Austronesians look like. And so that's ways that I combat it through history and looking and kind of like zooming out from the bigger perspective. Um, but I think the other part of it, too, is like kind of from our relationship standpoint, it's just our relationship works because 
we're very, I know for us, when we want to host our wedding, we want to make sure we incorporate a lot of the Vietnamese and Cambodian traditions um, into that aspect, as well as um, obviously the American aspect as well. Um, and so that's also, that's kind of been like a teeter-tottering gap. But for some of my friends that, um, that have seen our relationship, it's like now that they've seen that John has been into African-American women, it's like now they're almost curious because um, the dynamics of like black love um, from, from what I've experienced and from some of my friends experience is that it's like black men get permission to date outside their race. And sometimes I get criticized as well. And um, a lot of times for black women, we're always told we're undesirable. We're always told that we're just a side chick. And so for me, I was, I was, when I was told that to my face too, I was like, well, shoot, I don't have to take this. I can go to another culture and be treated 10 times as better. And that's pretty much what I did. And I didn't want to say it was purely based on race, but it was also like a similar personality, a similar mindset. And honestly, I just wanted someone to, who would embrace what I wanted. And I know I bring up my career a lot, but because like I want to go into the U.S. Foreign Service and every two years we get stationed in a different country. I wanted someone who would be open to learning about other cultures and not hyper focused on one. So that was kind of like my dynamics of how we look at our relationship. Yeah. And, you know, to piggyback off what Vanity said, I would say that uh, I definitely become more open minded when it comes to like cultural and languages and just learning about you know, really trying to understand where someone comes from and, you know, and really trying to be mindful of the certain things um, that comes along with their struggle and their history and who they are and, you know, things of that nature. And I always give an example of this, like, you know, you have a lot of young people that will say, oh, I've been to 30 countries, but you can easily, you know, colonization is huge. You can easily go to a country and stay in like Western owned tourist destinations. But are you going to go and look at historical sites and talk to the natives and really understand the social construct of their culture? Or are you just going to go and to enjoy certain aspects and fetishize their cultures once you're in another country? And that's when I started to really look at like who I wanted as a partner. And luckily John was that. I was just going to say like, well, I'm glad to hear that you guys have found each other. You guys sound great together. And uh, I loved hearing the story. I also wanted to ask Vannery something about like, cause you've touched on this before and I, I wanted to ask this earlier, but about like being a black woman in the dating world. And I'm trying to, form the question while I'm saying it, um, similar to what Jeff was doing earlier, but it's like how earlier we were talking about how the white woman in, especially for like Asian men was glorified. How was that as a, as a black woman? Do you feel like you're being glorified or is it the opposite? Um, because I know that there are a lot of studies in which coincidentally, like on dating apps, Asian men and black women end up being like the least favored like, what was that experience for, for you? Like, did you find that that was, that was your reality or? Um, I would say no, because, um, and it's not that I'm saying I'm not black, but for mixed race women, when you're black and something else, it's like a different, completely different experience. But I know for a lot of my friends, they went through that because when I, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I've used, I've used apps before too. Like I, 
I would even get matched with a lot of white men too, because a lot of white men found us desirable as well. Um, but for a lot of my friends that were fully black, like they, you know, they definitely struggled, you know, they definitely, I don't want to say struggled getting male attention, but um, it was definitely not as many matches as I would get. Um, and a lot of times because I have, like I said, I have a, like I said, you won't know that I'm black until you see me. I have a full Asian name. And then just the fact that I was raised in the culture, I speak the language. And so a lot of times if I'm dating someone, I would get fetishized too, but it's like, wow, you're, you're able to be black and you're so smart and Harvard and this, and it's almost because of the accolades I kind of added into the mix. But, um, so I never really struggled getting male attention even just like when it comes to going to the clubs you know when you hear stories about Chris Brown his treatment of dark-skinned women um I've seen it I've personally never went through it um I like I said when it comes to colorism in the black in the black community I was definitely on the end where I've gotten a lot of privilege for being mixed race you know hair is a big deal having long curly hair you know um I definitely I definitely have seen um I definitely have been in, in times where I've used my privilege to allow, um, you know, to stand up for my friends that were darker complected and everything. And even when I was in Japan, the South African delegation were treated really badly by the Europeans in the, um, the Japanese organizing community. I remember having to stand up because there was only three black women. There was me, the person who represented the Netherlands government. Um, and then obviously South Africa, so we can kind of help her out so she can get her policy proposals through because the treatment for a mixed race black person and a black woman, are, they're similar, but they're still very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, you touched on your family uh, reactions to the relationship uh, a bit earlier, um, mm -hmm. and I kind of want to bring it back to that. So when mm -hmm. you say that your Asian side of the family isn't really accepting is, and you also mentioned that John's going to be meeting your family. Is that the side of the family he's meeting soon? <laughs> yeah, he's actually meeting my mom and my stepdad side. But yeah, um, I remember when he proposed and we told um, my grandparents and I still have not talked to my grandparents. So um, that's one. And then um my, I mean, my black side would say little comments here and there, but the way that I would shut them up and I would say, I was like, well, your son didn't bring home a black woman, so I don't want to hear it. Like, that's, like that little, you know, like, don't, don't say, don't dish if you can't take it. That's always my, my model in life. But, um, you know, so obviously once I say that, there's really nothing else to be said because, you know, my mom's in the family and I have a couple of other aunts that aren't black, but um yeah, and I think what's also interesting, too, with the dynamic, like I said, I know sometimes within the Asian community, we're, we have like this unspoken competition with our other cousins or our sisters and everything. And like I said, too, it was predicted. A lot of stereotypes were being pushed on me for being the black sheep of the family. A lot of family members were saying that I was going to drop out of college and have a bunch of kids and be on welfare like that. Narrative was pushed on me and obviously it wasn't. So now my family has to almost come in terms with their um anti-black sediments and then now that John's in the picture and they know obviously John has a lot of privilege too because my family also like some of them went to college in Cambodia but you know that's not validated here in the U.S. they don't even consider that like a real like the university in Phnom Penh a real university um even though it is and so um having to come having to be like one of the most educated and not just because of the school that I'm at 
but being like one of the first people in my family to go into higher ed and get like a postgraduate degree has been an interesting experience in myself because it's like I'm almost bringing value into the family and they recognize that but some of them won't accept won't verbally accept it for for me I just wish to the only thing that I hope is to make sure I can present myself in the best light I think that they would find me they'll welcome me you know because I'm not like someone that's gonna make them feel otherwise you know and I think in having conversations with them and them getting to know me as a person and you know because prior to meeting her like my life wasn't really you know I was like kind of you know how sometimes you have this like soul searching point in your life where you're just like soul searching and just trying to figure out your life or what your next move is or like who you want to you know be with or like what you want to do in life you know I think that once they understand like my journey and how I kind of like underwent this journey of like self-improvement and self-transformation and those things I think they will really like understand you know because for me I'm a human being you know they are as well like we put aside I'm being Vietnamese or I'm not being African-American or I think um, the conversation will go better, you know, Mm -hmm, for sure. And I'm really hoping it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will. And just like one little question, Vanner, have you met his side of the family? Uh, Has that gone well? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, I love his family. His parents are very, very sweet, very, very nice. they, uh, it's like every time I teach, every time I see him, they teach me a new Vietnamese phrase. Um, but um, yeah, his stepmom, yeah, his stepmom can't speak um, e- um, English. She'll say like, hi, how are you? And I'll just say, oh, job back. Yeah, and then his sisters are, are, are really nice too. Very, very welcoming. Um, like I said, I never, I didn't have any issues um, with anything um the only other thing too we make a joke because they know i eat my food extremely spicy and that's john had to get acclimated to my spice oh tolerance. yeah definitely, definitely but um you know it's funny because when we went to go eat bum away with his parents and they saw how much <laughs> how much like look i put in my <laughs> noodles i think they're like okay you're gonna when we have our family get together you're gonna have like your own food and i'm like okay that's something we can <laughs> come in terms with yeah but um but yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And I'm sure it'll go fine with my family, but because obviously my family came around when I was born. So, um, you know, I have hope. No, I was going to say, I feel you, John, man. Not go as spicy either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that it, you know, you, you build tolerance just for anything. You got to build up the tolerance. It's progression yeah. slowly, you know. Yeah. I remember like one time she made spaghetti. I was like, she was like, all right, babe, I made spaghetti. I looked at it, I'm like, why is it like I kind of like she was like, Yeah, you know, I didn't put too much heat into it, you know, just like six like just like six jalapenos and three Thai chili peppers. I'm like, yes, yes, it tastes very good, but the aftermath is not very good. Yeah, so like why are you volunteer voluntarily putting yourself in torture? Like oh, come does on, it like... taste better? Oh. <laughs> hello, hello, exactly. nah, it was hella good. It was hella good. It was hella good. Was okay. Hella good. I wanted to know like when was the first time someone said uh, I love you to the other person? Do you want to answer that? Do you want me to answer? Do you want me to answer it? All right, cool. Um, yeah, I think we're just like chilling, you know, 
this was this was way before Benny and I like lived together and um, we we're just chilling at her spot. And then I think she was just she was beginning to really tell me about her journey to come out here to DC and um, you know, telling me about her homeless to Harvard experience and really how gritty and how resilient she was because, you know, like I definitely had my fair share of like, you know, hard times and struggles. And, you know, I came from a poor family. Like my parents were not, you know, didn't have money at all. I, whatever I got, like, I definitely worked really hard for it, you know? Um, and then I, she was just telling me and I was just like, wow, like you're very inspiring to me, you know, like all I, it's like, yeah, like I've, you know, every guy watches like, you know, Gary V and all this and listen to pot, you know, different podcasts, motivational and things like that. You know, like I, I, you know, I'm pretty disciplined and hardworking, but when I met Vanny, I was like, wow, yeah, this, this person is going to be like my partner because um, life is full of ups and downs, you know? Um, and in a relationship, like, so, like, I think that when you have a partner, it just makes life, you know, like you can confide in each other, you can bounce ideas off, be each other's sounding boards, things like that, you know? And then I think something I just was like, you know, even though we haven't been together for like X amount, I was like, I love you, you know, like, I feel like I've known you like my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I really told her, I was like, I feel like I've known you like my whole life because we can understand each other. And honestly, like, it's like my life, like basically change, you know? Oh, geez. Vinny, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. When he said it, I thought he was joking. So I laughed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were together for like a month and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know. I think where I was in my life emotionally, I wish I like, I just didn't trust people. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I was coming out of like a very bad situation. Um, and like I said, I didn't have anyone else to help me but myself. So I didn't really trust people, but I enjoyed male company. So he was there, but I didn't think it was going to turn in. So when he said it, I was like, mm, okay. I was like, all right, we'll see. And then here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't like hurt boys. I wasn't sad boys about it <laughs> or anything like that. I would just, I just play it off cool. Like I was just chill, you know, cause I think that, um, you know, just, just for some, some knowledge, just to drop some gem real quick. I think for, for guys, it's like whenever, let's say you say you love the girl or let's say you pursue them or you shoot a shot or, or whatnot, like it doesn't work out, you know, it's not the end of the world, you know, like, but women like can see the emotion of a man even before they can see it themselves you know so I think like you know I played it well you know I was like all right all right like you know perhaps it's not a no it's a not right now <laughs> you know exactly. so so I was like all right all right fine like I'm going to like I'll take it but I'm going to prove and I'm going to show that my intentions are true and everything because she was like, yeah, you know, like fuck boys, all this other stuff. And I was like, you know, I, mm -hmm. I definitely have my, my share of like, you know, being a young boy, you, you know, like all that stuff. Um, but now like I tried to, but when I met Mary, I was like, I was trying to seek to settle down, you know, like I'm like 29. So like, I think this summer I'll be like 30, but uh, yeah. And so, you know, like I was coming of age. So I was like, all right, like I'm going to see about trying to settle down and everything like that. So I had to come correct, you know, like it, it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't correct the first time, but you know, I just, just had to tweak it, you know, it's tweak it. It's just, 
and you were speaking some facts. I mean, that's a hundred percent true. You know, uh, women are waiting for us to prove ourselves because the truth is, let's be honest, a lot of better trash. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but if you are the good person that you you say you are, I mean, you should like for me, for example, I know I'm I'm very confident in myself because mm -hmm. I know in time I will showcase who I am, and I'm not worried about that immediate satisfaction of like yeah. You know, yeah. trust needs to be earned. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Same with trust needs to be earned. Same with like the love as well, you know. So when she told me like I wasn't just like, you know, because I mean, let's be honest, like a lot of guys, if they pour their heart out to a girl and then they, you know, they'll be like, oh, God, ah, you know, <laughs> like, or like, fuck that, you know, like this yeah. and that. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. But I'm like, I treat it as, um, it's just anything in life. It's like, if you're not given opportunity, are you going to fucking give up? Or are you going to fucking get up and keep going? You know, like, and in my life, like, I mean, in some ways, I'm pretty gritty and resilient myself. Like, I just kept trying to keep going with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess to wrap it up, um, what is one advice from each of you guys that you would give for a relationship? Doesn't, uh, it can be related to interracial relationships since we were talking about, but doesn't have to be. So what's the one advice you would give for us youngins? I think my advice is just like, don't be too hard on yourself, you know, cause there's, there's so many things going on in the world and even in yourself and even me, like I stress like mental health is first and foremost, you know, like if you're. If you're good up here, then you can do anything really that you want, you know. Um, but I think like being too hard on yourself, whether it's through your life experience or through like parental like generations like that they've taught you or if you have like this status to uphold or, you know, because of your societal pressure or family or, you know, whether it's internal or external. I really challenge the, you know, youth kids to just to don't you know, because I don't believe that we're all like perfect. And sometimes like when I was even younger, like I thought, oh, I have to be like this perfect like person or else like the world is over. My life is over, you know, but actually the more and more I learned, the more and more I'm like, wow, like I just sometimes you feel like you don't know shit, you know, and then you just got to keep learning. Um, I would say my piece of advice and it goes for a relationship or just anything you want in life is to just honestly never settle. If there's something that you want, you can fight, like just keep fighting, keep going, keep just know your worth. And like I said, never settle, just keep going towards that goal. You know, if you're in a, a shitty relationship and someone's not treating you as you, as you deserve, and you're dealing with narcissism or gaslighting, you know, just leave, leave. And there's someone else out there that's, that's, you know, that's waiting for you. And then if times get hard, don't be afraid to do conf conflict resolution. But if that doesn't work, you know, move on. But, and as far as chasing your dreams, you know, you can literally get through anything. A lot of us are a lot stronger than what we think. You know, we remind each other every single day with our hurdles that we go through, because, you know, like I said, relationships take a lot of work but it's not impossible absolutely and like honestly i've enjoyed this conversation and i feel like i could talk for hours uh just to give context we at the agn oh, connection oh no. did talk about <laughs> dating 
we had an episode in line and talking about the Asian community dating, but we scrapped it because it was very awkward for us. And I think that's one of the things that we mentioned briefly is like the, the conversation of dating in the Asian community is something that's not something we're used to. Um, but I've learned recently that I actually, I actually enjoy talking about uh, relationships now and mm-hmm. love and all that type of stuff. And then having you guys uh, on the show, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show to share your stories and bring up some important topics that I feel like we at the Asian Connection can also expand on moving forward. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you for having us. We definitely enjoyed it. For sure. To our listeners, you guys can listen to us on Apple Music, Spotify, all the other streaming stuff. Don't forget to follow us on social media our Instagram page at Asian underscore connection. And uh, yeah, see you next time.